Hey there, Lane. Hope you're staying cozy out there in Minneapolis. Yeah, with those scattered clouds overhead, it sounds like a perfect day to dive into some news, doesn't it? Highs of 45 and lows of 34 mean it's quite the brisk Sunday. Absolutely, and we've got just the stories to match that cool, contemplative weather. Former President Donald Trump has made a bold claim amidst his legal battles. Despite facing 91 felony charges, he says his support among black Americans has grown. He compares his indictments to historic anti-black prejudice in the U.S. legal system. I'm Steve Onsker. And I'm Jonathan Martin. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines from PocketPod News. Over in the world of tech and education, Baiju's founder is caught in a power struggle with shareholders. Baiju Ravendran insists he's still CEO despite a vote for his removal amid allegations of financial mismanagement. And down in Florida, lawmakers are taking a stand against social media use by those under 16. A new bill aims to protect young minds from online risks, but has sparked debate over privacy and free speech rights. This message is brought to you by PocketPod. Say goodbye to one-size-fits-all podcasts and hello to a fully personalized listening experience with AI-crafted podcast made just for you. Head over to PocketPod.app to join the waitlist. At a recent black tie event in South Carolina, former President Donald Trump made some remarks that have reverberated far beyond the room. Yes, he claimed that his criminal indictments have actually increased his support among black Americans. He likened his legal challenges to the kind of discrimination historically faced by black people in the U.S. And those comments have sparked quite a bit of controversy. Accusations of pandering and racism were quick to follow, with critics from both sides of the aisle weighing in. But despite skepticism from some quarters, Trump and his supporters are pushing the narrative that the Republican Party aligns more closely with black voters' values than they might realize. To help us unpack all this, we've got PocketPod News political correspondent Jessica Mallory joining us. Jessica, Trump's comparison of his legal woes to systemic racism, how's that playing out among black voters? Well, Jonathan, it's a complex issue. Former President Donald Trump's remarks, where he likened his legal challenges to the historical discrimination against black Americans, have certainly sparked conversation. However, the feedback isn't uniformly positive. While Trump claims that his indictments have actually increased his support among black Americans, seeing him as a victim akin to their own experiences with the U.S. legal system, this assertion is met with skepticism by some within the black community. The apprehension stems from a broader context of Trump's career and his actions as a real estate developer and politician, which have been marked by accusations of racism. Interesting point on the skepticism there. Could you dive deeper into the reactions to Trump's speech? I understand there was quite a bit of criticism. Absolutely. The reaction to Trump's speech has been sharply divided. Critics, including Democrats like former Louisiana rapper Cedric Richmond and Republicans such as former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, have condemned Trump's remarks as pandering and even racist. Haley's response came the morning after the speech, highlighting how quickly criticism emerged from both sides of the aisle. The divisive nature of Trump's rhetoric is not new, but continues to stir controversy within political circles and beyond. Now, regarding those criminal indictments against Trump, he mentions, can you tell us more about those? Sure thing. Donald Trump faces 91 felony charges across various allegations, including efforts to overturn the 2020 election results, mishandling classified documents, and arranging payments to a porn actress, among others. 
What's notable here is that despite these serious charges, there's no evidence suggesting President Joe Biden or White House officials had any hand in influencing these indictments, countering any narrative of them being purely politically motivated attacks. Moving on to something a bit broader here, how are Republicans attempting to appeal to black voters amid all this? That's an excellent question. The Republican Party argues that investing time and money into outreach efforts could indeed sway more black voters towards their platform, believing that their policies on various issues already resonate within this community. This belief suggests an ongoing strategy within the party aimed at broadening its appeal among demographic groups that have traditionally leaned Democratic. Jessica, before we wrap up, any final thoughts on how all this plays into Trump's larger narrative or its implications for future political dynamics? Certainly, Jonathan. Donald Trump's assertion that his legal troubles have won him further support among Black Americans fits into a larger narrative where he portrays himself as a victim of political persecution akin to historical injustices faced by this community, a claim met with both skepticism and criticism for perceived pandering and insensitivity towards complex racial issues in America. Despite efforts from some within his party to appeal more broadly to black voters based on policy issues alone, skepticism remains due both controversies surrounding Trump specifically and broader perceptions about the party's stance on race-related matters. That was PocketPod News political correspondent Jessica Mallory. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. The world of edtech is facing a significant shakeup right in the heart of Bengaluru, India. That's right. Baiju's, a leading edtech startup, is in the midst of a dramatic internal conflict. Its founder and CEO, Baiju Raviendran, is fighting against an attempt by some shareholders to oust him over governance and financial issues. And despite the turmoil, Ravindran is pushing back hard. He sent out a letter to employees refuting claims of his ousting, launched a rights issue aiming to raise about $200 million, and even questioned the validity of the shareholder meeting that sought his removal. It's a complex situation involving accusations of financial mismanagement, procedural discrepancies at shareholder meetings, and battles over public perception. To help us navigate through this saga and understand its implications for Baiju's future and the broader edtech landscape, we're joined by PocketPod News business and finance correspondent Scott Dwyer. Scott has been closely following these developments. Scott, where do we even begin with this? Well, Jonathan, it's a tangled web at Baiju's, starting with the company's founder and CEO, Baiju Ravindran. Following an emergency general meeting where shareholders voted for his removal, Ravindran sent a letter to employees on Saturday. In it, he refuted claims of his ousting as exaggerated and highlighted concerns over the legitimacy of the shareholder meeting. He argued that the meeting lacked procedural validity, including not meeting the minimum quorum. It sounds like Ravendran is standing his ground. Can you tell us more about the shareholder group's stance? Absolutely. The shareholder group in question includes heavyweights like Process Ventures and Peak 15 Ventures, and they voted unanimously at Friday's emergency general meeting for resolutions addressing governance issues and proposing leadership changes at Baiju's. This move underscores deep concerns among investors regarding financial mismanagement and compliance within the company, signaling a significant rift between Raviendran and some of Baiju's major backers. And what about Ravendran's concerns over the meeting procedures? Does he have a point? He might have one, Jonathan. Ravindran claimed that only 35 of Baiju's 170 shareholders attended this extraordinary general meeting, 
representing about 45% ownership. This raises questions about whether proper legal procedures were followed and if there was indeed enough quorum to make any decisions binding. It's a critical point that could affect how these proceedings are viewed legally and ethically. Amidst all this internal discord, Baiju's launched a rights issue to raise funds. How does that fit into this picture? Now, that's an interesting turn of events amidst the turmoil. Despite having its valuation significantly reduced from $22 billion to about $25 million, Baiju's launched a rights issue aiming to raise approximately $200 million. Ravindran has called this move overwhelmingly successful, suggesting investor confidence might still be high despite recent challenges. It poses an intriguing contradiction. Financial challenges on one hand, but claimed strong investor interest on the other. There seems to be also a dispute over how this saga is being portrayed publicly. Indeed, Jonathan, amidst these boardroom battles, there's also a war of narratives playing out in public view. Ravindran accused minority shareholders of spreading misinformation through media channels, but insisted Baiju's would not engage in a media war to counter these claims. This tactic spotlights another layer in their strategy, controlling public perception without directly confronting the accusations in a highly public forum. With all these moving parts, what could be the broader implications for Baiju's future? Uh, the situation at Baiju's could serve as a cautionary uh, tale for, for startups about governance and investor relations importance, and especially in high-stakes environments like EdTech, where rapid growth often precedes stringent financial scrutiny. How Baiju's navigates through these challenges could significantly impact uh, its operational stability and industry position moving forward. Fascinating insights as always, Scott. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Jonathan. Always glad to delve into these complex stories with you. In Florida, a new bill is sparking a heated debate on how young is too young for social media. That's right. The state legislature has just passed legislation that would prevent anyone under the age of 16 from using social media platforms. It's a move aimed at protecting kids from the potential mental health risks of excessive screen time. But not everyone's on board. Critics say it infringes on free speech and steps over parents' rights to supervise their children's online activities. Governor Ron DeSantis is now weighing in, balancing concerns over privacy with the need to protect Florida's youth. To dive deeper into this complex issue, we're joined by PocketPod News national political correspondent Don Gallup. Don, there's a lot to unpack here between parental authority, privacy rights, and mental health concerns. Where do we even begin? Indeed, Steve, it's a multifaceted issue. Let's start with the Florida legislature's recent decision, which aims to prohibit individuals under the age of 16 from using social media platforms. This legislative move is driven by concerns over the potential mental health risks that excessive use of social media can pose to young people. The bill, having been passed by lawmakers just this Thursday, is now awaiting review by Governor Ron DeSantis. And what's Governor DeSantis's stance on this issue? Governor DeSantis has recognized the potential harm that social media can inflict on children. However, he also raises concerns about infringing on privacy rights and overriding parental supervision. His position highlights a significant tension between protecting children in the digital realm and preserving family autonomy when it comes to engaging with technology. There seems to be quite a bit of public debate around this bill. Can you tell us more about the opposition it's facing? Absolutely, Steve. Critics argue that this bill could potentially violate First Amendment rights and reduce parents' control over their children's online activities. A notable opponent is Meta. 
the parent company of Instagram and Facebook, which opposes the legislation due to concerns over data privacy and limits on parental discretion. They advocate for federal measures that would require parental approval for minors' app downloads instead. The bill targets specific features of social media platforms. Could you elaborate on those? Yes, the legislation takes aim at features known for keeping users engaged, such as infinite scrolling, reaction metrics like likes or shares, autoplay videos, live streaming capabilities, and push notifications. Lawmakers believe these functionalities contribute to addictive behaviors in minors and exacerbate mental health issues without naming any specific platforms. And what about privacy protection? How does the bill address those concerns? To tackle privacy concerns head-on, provisions have been included in the bill aiming to enhance user data protection during age verification processes. Furthermore, it allows for civil lawsuits against companies that fail to delete personal information from terminated accounts. These measures seek to balance constitutional rights related to privacy while holding social media companies accountable for their practices. This isn't an isolated case, though, right? Other states are considering similar laws? That's correct. Florida's legislation follows Utah's footsteps, which became the first state to adopt laws regulating children's access to social media back in March 2023. Arkansas, Louisiana, Ohio, and Texas are either following suit or contemplating similar regulations, illustrating a growing national trend towards stricter regulation of minors' access to digital platforms. So what do we make of all this? It sounds like there are no easy answers. Indeed not, Steve. While intended as protective measures against potential harms associated with online engagement, particularly among youth, such legislative efforts raise complex questions about free speech rights versus government intervention in child-rearing practices and data privacy considerations. As states across the U.S. explore similar regulations amid broader discussions about technology's role in society and individual well-being, these debates are likely only going to intensify. Thanks for that comprehensive overview, Don. My pleasure, Steve. Always good discussing these important issues with you. And that's Beyond the Headlines for Sunday, February 25th, 2024. I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. Thank you for listening, Lane. We hope you have a good day and we will see you tomorrow. This podcast was created by PocketPod entirely with AI. If you'd like to learn more, head over to pocketpod.app.